The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. So let's tell you about our friends over at Pro Football Focus. Prepare to win this season with PFF Fantasy. PFF offers the most in-depth stats and analysis to give you the massive edge over your competition. Use their data-driven projections and matchup tools to find breakout players. Sit back and follow Jeff Ratcliffe's expert rankings all season long. Don't waste another season guessing which players to draft or to fade. Use PFS analytics, PFF analytics to optimize every draft pick, trade offer, and DFS lineup. Sign up at PFF.com and use the promo code PFF25 to save 25% on your order. If you're a high-stakes player, join PFF Elite to access their Green Line game picks for NFL and college games. Green Line shows you which picks have the highest confidence to beat the spread, money line, and over under. Join PFF today and prepare to win. Go to PFF.com and use the promo code PFF2525 to save 25% for a limited time. Anshu, I know you've been using PFF's uh, expert analytics for a long time now, and I know you're one of the folks that I play fantasy sports with that tends to win more often than lose. Would you say that they have anything to do with that? I would say they have a lot to do with it. I could not recommend them higher. Um, At one point, I wrote for PFF Fantasy, uh, and I know how much work goes into what they do and, um, you know, the amount of analysis objectively that they utilize. So if you're looking for a resource, I mean, it's tough to beat what PFF does for sure. You are entering the Underdog Sports Fantasy Hour with Josh Dunn and Anshu Khanna. You are now in the Underdog Sports Fantasy Hour. I am Josh Dunn. I am joined, as always, by Anshu Khanna. Anshu, we've been away for a couple weeks as we hit the reset button, but I can't tell you how excited I am with training camp starting up and to be back here talking to you. How have you been, my friend? Doing very well. Great to talk to you as well. And it's it's going to be awesome. It's uh, we are. It is here. It has arrived. Players have are in pads and shells and helmets and um, you know we got the MLB trade deadline. It is like for how little has happened since the NBA's free agency period started. We are full bore into fantasy sports right now, so good time to get this thing really ramped up. Yeah, we always talk about that summer lull that we go through in the sports world, and this is kind of the tail end of that with the trade deadline, as you mentioned, and also training camp ramping up, which we're going to dig right into. But uh, wanted to just kind of bring things full circle. Uh, we did release a final episode of The Leftovers, and I want to apologize to everyone who listened to that because of the sound quality of my recording, but we did want to release it as is. That was important to us because, you know, it was Dan's last episode, and, you know, being that Anshu and Dan's sound was normal, we wanted to get that out because there were some things that were said that we just couldn't 
it wouldn't have felt right to re-record. So if you listen to it again, I apologize for the way I sounded. Uh, You know, the only other option was just to re. It would have just been a mess. But uh, hopefully, you listened to it. Uh, You know, you heard Dan's last episode. And what we're going to try to do here on this show now is kind of work the leftovers into it. So the Underdog Sports Fantasy Hour is going to be here just like you guys have been listening to it. So we'll be heavy fantasy. We'll be talking a lot of betting lines on the show as you're, as you're used to. Uh, but then on the tail end of the show, we are going to work the leftovers into the show. So we'll still have that that kind of quick, rapid analysis that we have been bringing you guys on the leftovers uh, that Dan's been a part of, uh, but that'll just be Anshu and I going forward. Uh, Anshu, anything that I missed that you wanted to add as we kind of, like I said, hit the reset button here for the show going forward? No, I mean, you nailed it. Obviously, pretty bittersweet there with that last episode with Dan, but really, really excited, um, you know, for all the cool stuff that we've got going on. And I think we've got some interesting surprises coming your guys' way in the next uh, month or two. So be on the lookout for that. And uh, like you said, I mean, we couldn't have re-recorded that. It just wouldn't have been organic. And uh, there was a lot of heart in that one. So I would advise if anyone has been an interested party in that show to uh, go check it out. Yeah, and if you were a listener of The Leftovers, we hope you can find a way to, to enjoy this show if you haven't before, uh, because we really do feel like we'll be able to kind of intertwine the two so that it's not all fantasy and it's not all analysis. We kind of have a little bit of both in the show. Uh, so hopefully you guys will enjoy that. Uh, with that, we wanted to start this show off by kind of setting up training camp. And what we're going to do here over the next few weeks is we're going to kind of preview uh, a, a, a conference or I guess a division in each conference. So this week we're going to start with the AFC and NFC East. So we're going to give our, our thoughts on a preview and kind of talk through the lines, talk through some of the fantasy storylines as well. Uh, and then we're going to do that each week for the next four weeks. So uh, with that on you, let's kind of get into it. Let's look at some of these lines here as we look at um, the, the AFC East we'll start with. Uh, so the AFC East, obviously the storyline here, you know, for years has been, the New England Patriots. So they've just they've really run things in not only this division but also in the league. Uh, they're minus five hundred to win this division this year. Uh, the Jets, interestingly enough, sitting there at number two at plus six hundred. The Bills at plus nine fifty, and then the Dolphins at plus two fifty with a little bit of a quarterback conundrum there. Um, but you know, obviously, I think we're going to agree that the Patriots are the storyline here, and Tom Brady looks as good as ever. Um, but is there anything specific with the Patriots as far as storylines or fantasy impact that you're watching as we look toward this season? Yeah, I mean, number one, obviously, you see, you know, Rob Ronkowski retired for now. Um, and even if he does come back, I don't think you can count on him for fantasy, maybe in the playoffs, but highly unlikely to get drafted in any leagues out there. And, uh, you know, the other piece is Julian Edelman is recovering from a broken thumb. And, you know, he's I assume he'll be back uh, early in the season. But that's, you know, that's Brady's top two pass catchers. And what we've seen in early, early research uh, with ADPs is that Brady is going fairly late, which is surprising. But with the, you know, the fact that so many running quarterbacks are out there now, including Josh Allen in this very division, which we'll get to, I mean, Brady's value becomes so, you know, heavily predicated on his passing ability. And if you're taking Edelman and Gronk out of that equation and you're making James White maybe their third string running back after drafting Sony Michelle and Damian Harris over the last two years, I mean, you know, it, it's an interesting dynamic there with Brady and how you weigh drafting him, especially in two quarterback formats. So I think that that's like from a fantasy perspective, really interesting. Um, from, you know, a game planning perspective, it's just you know, it's the Patriots. You assume they'll find a way to get it done. Um, they also lost their left tackle this year in Trent Brown. So 
you know, offensively, they're a very different looking team coming into this year. Yeah, I mean, the two storylines for me, especially from a fantasy perspective, as you look at them being as heavy of favorites as they are, I don't think a betting man is really going against them unless you're a fan of maybe the Bills or the Jets and you think they're going to take a huge leap forward. Uh, but from a fantasy perspective, you know, the running back position is very interesting. James White's been such a such a great pass-catching running back. And if you're in a league that has any type of points per reception, any type of PPR, whether it's a half or three-quarters of a, or a whole point, James White's going to be valuable, but Sony Michelle had some injury issues last year, and the issue with the New England Patriots' backfield is they have a lot of depth, but a lot of that depth faced injuries last year. Rex Burkhead was out for a long time. Sony Michelle missed games. Uh, so, you know, who is going to be the, the, the guy? And, and I think there's room in that backfield for each of them, but the issue with the Patriots as far as their backfield is you never know who the guy's going to be week in and week out. So if they all stay healthy, that's a lot of mouths to feed. And at the receiver yeah. position, you mentioned Julian Edelman. He has the injury issues. Outside of him, they bring in Demarius Thomas. They bring in Dontrell Inman. And Nikhil Harry is the guy they go with in the draft. And Nikhil Harry is an interesting prospect. But we've seen with the Patriots that the receivers they draft high in drafts don't always pan out. So it's an interesting skills position. I think you stay away from tight end. They've got Benjamin Watson, Austin uh, Safarian Jenkins. I think you stay away from tight end for now. But in the skill positions, there's probably a diamond in the rough. But I just don't know who it is at this point. Yeah, Super weird, and you know it's it's interesting contrasting the Patriots to the other three teams in their division because when you say you have no idea what the running backs, and and we know that to be the case throughout the Josh McDaniels, Bill Belichick era, but all the other teams in this division have bona fide, you know, three down bell cow type backs. When you think of Lashawn McCoy with Buffalo, even though they added Frank Gore and drafted Devin Singletary. And then, you know, Kenyon Drake and Kellen Bellaj in, in Miami, but probably Kenyon Drake's job to lose there. And then, of course, the huge, huge, absurd contract the Jets gave Le'Veon Bell. Um, so, you know, that what the Patriots have going on in the backfield stands in very stark contrast. And even outside of running back, like with the position players, I mean, all, all the way across the board, it seems like every team in this division has clearly defined roles for their uh, for their pass catchers as well. Yeah, you kind of hinted at Le'Veon Bell. So let's talk Jets. Uh, the Jets—they're—they're uh, they're traditionally some somebody that you stay away from as far as a lot of the fantasy options. I mean, Robbie Anderson had some big games last year. They bring in Jamison Crowder, who's a reception beast when he's on the field, but he's already been hurt in training camp here. Looks like he's going to escape without any severe injuries. Um, so Le'Veon Bell's the bell cow, uh, no pun intended there. And then you've got Sam Darnold, who showed some signs of life toward the end of the season. Uh, but I, outside of being a two quarterback uh, type of a fantasy uh, league, I don't know that he has a ton of value going into his second season. Uh, what do you see in this New York Jets team? Is there any value that you can gain uh, from anybody? I know you kind of liked Quincy Anunua last year, but he had some injury issues. Uh, what do you like here on New York? I I love Robbie Anderson. And I mean, it's going to be interesting to see the way that they format this team in part because, you know, Adam Gase is their guy now. And that changes things because, you know, this is a team, a, a, a coach that with Miami has run an extremely slow offense. So um, hasn't run a lot of plays in Miami. You didn't get a lot of production, especially out of the receivers. And I mean, Chris, or Ryan Tannehill had some, you know, some bright spots, certainly a couple of years ago specifically. But um, it's, it's really going to be interesting to see how he helps develop. Sam Darnold, who, as you alluded to, was absolutely awesome at the end of the season, dominated the Packers uh, second or third to the last week of the season, um, put up huge numbers as a quarterback one in the playoffs. And so, you know, something to consider. I mean, obviously, he's their franchise guy. They took him in the top three. They probably 
picked up Adam Gase in part because of how he could work with Darnold. But, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure exactly what, you know, will come of adding Le'Veon Bell and if that will mean that the shackles are kind of put on uh, Sam Darnold you know, throughout the season, but you know, that that's, this is a really volatile division outside of new England and even including new England, I think as far as risk goes. So it's an interesting place to start. Um, but Robbie Anderson was an absolute star late last season. If you somehow missed the playoffs or weren't paying attention, this guy is an absolute stud. And if he's healthy throughout the season and not suspended, I mean, he's a guy, uh, you know, who Sam Darnold clearly looked to, and even with Jamison Crowder there, I think you can look towards Robbie Anderson as a potential wide receiver too in this league. Uh, just real quick, what do you, what do you see in Le'Veon Bell's value this year? Obviously, he's been a top five pick and and really killed a lot of people's fantasy teams last year as he missed most of the season uh, with the holdout. But do you do you think he gets back to that bell cow type of running back even with this this New York Jets offense that you just really don't know what you're going to get out of and could potentially be one dimensional? Where do you see him going in a lot of fantasy drafts? Obviously, he catches the ball out of the backfield too, which should help in PPR. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, it's just, it's so hard to find guys that, you know, aren't really splitting the job at all. And we can pretty safely assume that Le'Veon Bell will not be, even though, you know, Elijah McGuire had some flashes. We've seen Ty Montgomery do some good things. Um, But overall, you know, this is Bell's job. They paid him to do the job and you can trust that he's going to get a ton of touches. Now, the question is, how efficient will he be with those touches? And uh, I have my doubts, but, you know, we've seen him be an absolute rock star in this league, obviously, for one of your least favorites franchises in all of sports, needless to say, but if not the worst, but, um, you know, he's he's a stud. He's there's when he was healthy, he was great. But now, will he be good with a team without all those tools and, you know, without Roethlisberger as his quarterback is is the million dollar question. So I couldn't fault anyone for taking him in the first round, but it probably won't be me. All right, the Bills The Bills are a team that, that I don't know where to go here from a fantasy standpoint. I mean, Josh Allen, you know, he showed some mobility last year, which was a bit of a surprise to me. Uh, you know, he, he showed flashes at times. I don't think he's going to win you a fantasy championship. And outside of that, looking at their receiving core, there's a lot of no-names on there. They do add guys like John Brown and Cole Beasley. Uh, but Zay Jones, Robert Foster, these are not big names. They add Tyler Croft from my Bengals at the tight end position. He's not necessarily a fantasy producer. And then TJ Yeldon and Frank Gore are added to a backfield that's already old. Uh, I, I just I don't know if the Bills are somewhere you're looking for any real offensive help from a fantasy standpoint. Is there anybody that you can see here that maybe provides some late-round value? I mean, I think John Brown is going to be interesting because if you think of Josh Allen coming into last year, what his strength was, you you alluded to his legs at the end of the year, but going in, it was the arm cannon that he has. And if there's anyone in the league that can catch up to that deep ball, it's John Brown. And we've seen him, you know, really produce early last season. He was awesome for the Ravens as well. So I looked at John Brown, especially early as a worth a late round flyer for sure. And, you know, he is without question in my mind, the clearly the best receiver on this depth chart. It amazes me that they didn't even try for anyone else. I mean, uh, not in the draft or anything. Obviously they, they apparently had Antonio Brown locked up if he didn't whine his way out of that deal. But um, you know, it was, it, it's John Brown in a cloud of dust. And I think that, that you, something has to be said for that because LaShawn McCoy is not getting any younger and they're going to have to pass and they've got, you know, this, this, star young quarterback that's going to be you know the future of their franchise and so you got to think that they're going to throw the ball quite a bit and that means to me john brown especially while the weather's okay in buffalo 
is uh, is someone to look for, I think, for sure. All right, let's close out the AFC East with Miami. Uh, you know, your guy, Josh Rosen, has an opportunity to win this quarterback job. Uh, do you think he does, first of all? Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick's number one on the depth chart right now. Obviously, Kenyon Drake's a guy that a lot of people looked to last year to have a breakout year. He didn't necessarily do that. He had some flashes, uh, but wasn't great. Uh, they have Devontae Parker, who was, you know, kind of, uh, you know, it looked like he wasn't going to be on this team. They were looking to trade him at the deadline. He stays around. He's probably the most talented receiver they have there. But this is another team that I just, I, I, I worry about uh, fantasy production from really anybody outside of maybe Kenyon Drake. Yeah, for sure. So their offensive coordinator, first of all, Brian Flores is the coach. He says that Ryan Fitzpatrick is apparently by far, uh, in a way, ahead of Josh Rosen. So you can trust that it's going to be Fitzpatrick if you're in a two-quarterback league to draft someone. And then their offensive coordinator comes from New England as well. It's Chad O'Shea, who, um, you know, not a ton of experience as an offensive coordinator in the past. So um, kind of an interesting move. Tough to know what exactly they're going to be looking like offensively. You can believe that it won't be the traditional offense that Adam Gase ran, obviously. And so, you know, what will they do? In my mind, you know, you have a defensive head coach and, you know, and a kind of an under uh, sort of underexperienced offensive coordinator. My guess is this is a formula for running the ball a whole lot. And that magnifies the value of Drake and Bellage. It sounds like Devontae Parker. And I feel like this is just you know, Groundhog Day yet again with him. But, you know, Devontae Parker had an awesome OTA session um, or series of sessions and is someone that I think you got to look at again. Um, they signed Alan Hearns. I mean, I, I think that those guys are, are ones to look at. But for sure, you're focused on the running backs if you're looking at the Dolphins. All right. So let's go to a not so lopsided division. That's the NFC East. Uh, you've got Philadelphia as the favorites, minus 105 as it sits today. Dallas is right behind them at plus 140. And then the Redskins and the Giants both on the outside looking in. It could be trouble for those two teams this year. Uh, so let's let's start with Philadelphia. That Since they're the favorites, they're just you know two years removed here from being Super Bowl champions. Uh, th- this is a team that you know obviously has a lot of talent on the offensive side of the ball. Alshon Jeffrey had a solid year last year. But uh, what do you see out of Philadelphia coming into here next year? Obviously, Carson Wentz faced injury issues as well. Yeah, I mean, I really like this Philadelphia team with a healthy Wentz, which is a huge asterisk. But if he's healthy, they're they're really good. They sign, or I'm sorry, trade for Jordan Howard from the Bears. I don't know if that moves the needle a whole lot. But what does to me is Miles Sanders running back from Penn State, who they drafted in, on day two. Um, just an absolute star as far as athleticism goes and his testing. Um, they also draft J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, who's another guy that did that. They they picked up Deshaun Jackson. So from a fantasy perspective, this is like the polar opposite of the AFC East. I mean, this is – they're ripe, and, um, you know, this is this is a really good team, maybe the best offensive line in football, anchored, um, you know, by Jason Peters, obviously, and Jason Kelsey and, you know, Lane Johnson. They, they are loaded and – if Miles Sanders, I think, can get off, that's a guy that I'd be looking long and hard at uh, in draft. So really an interesting team. I think they're the deserved favorites. I don't know if they should be that far ahead of the Cowboys, but um, you know, top to bottom, this is probably the best team in the NFC East and maybe in the entire conference. Do you do you like Jordan Howard as as a bell? I know you you talked a little bit about Miles Sanders. Obviously, uh, you know he's got some high praise as as a rookie, but Jordan Howard's a guy that you know at times in in Chicago he looked like he could be a fantasy stud, but they never really gave him that that bell cow type of a, a presence there on that uh, on that Bears team. Does he 
Do you think he becomes more productive in Philly or less productive than he was in Chicago? Oof, good question. I mean, he he was really productive for a year, um, but then obviously last year when you get three Cohen, you get Matt Nagy. It was a little bit of a different story, and um, I, I'm not sure. Uh, you know, if I, I don't expect his value to go up. Certainly not in PPR leagues. He's basically a zero as a pass catcher, and they have Miles Sanders. They have still Wendell Swalwood. Corey Clement, you know, was awesome out of the backfield as a receiver, and then Josh Adams is still there too. So. Um, a lot, a lot of options there. Too many in my mind to draft any of these guys high enough. And certainly not Jordan Howard, but he is to me clearly their goal line back. So if you're in a standard league, um, his value is definitely worth drafting in my mind. All right. It sounds like you're a little high on the Cowboys, at least as far as the odds go. Would you would you bet the plus one forty and then we'll talk fantasy? I probably would. Yeah. I mean, I think those two teams should be like minus 115 plus or I'm sorry, plus 115 plus 135 ish. Maybe. I mean, I, I think you nailed it with those other two. I, I, the Giants have absolutely no chance in my mind. And then, you know, the skins are, you know, they have that opportunity to maybe jump up. Um, they're a little bit underrated in my mind, but to me, it's clearly these two teams and um, especially the Cowboys. Like I, I, I I do think the the Eagles are the favorite, but value wise, I like what the Cowboys have. I mean, they added, you know, Randall Cobb, my boy, they draft, you know, they've got, you've got the second year for several really good players and they had a defense that it's easy to forget was really, really good last year, especially in the secondary. So if they're able to maintain that year over year, um, I like what they have. And, and one of the additions that they have is promoting Kellen Moore to offensive coordinator and play caller, which I think is a massive upgrade over what Jason Garrett is. And then, you know, they also have Amari Cooper for a full year now. So definitely an interesting team, I think. And, and you know, if the Eagles have the best offensive line, the Cowboys might have the second. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I do like the Cowboys top to bottom as well. What do you think happens with Zeke? I I feel like he's going to play. I mean, I, I don't think he'll miss any time. I would be surprised. It sounds like all the stuff we've heard is all positive. It's nothing like what we've heard with Le'Veon Bell or, you know, some of those other guys, even Melvin Gordon's is a little bit shakier. Um, I think the Zeke stuff and, and Michael Thomas as well, who we'll get to in one of these future shows. Uh, I, I just expect those guys not to miss any time. I, I would be surprised if by next week's show, Zeke isn't already a, reported to camp and, you know, he doesn't need to right now. I mean, he, he's got it all down and, um, you know, he's, we know what he is. He's maybe the truest bell cow there is in football. And so, you know, you're not worried about Tony Pollard or Darius Jackson or Mike Weber or whoever else they have. You just, you just know Zeke is going to run the ball and block and catch a ton. So, uh, really, uh, you know, one of those top flight guys and they value him as such. Yeah. They're very deep at receiver, which should help Dak Prescott's stock. Do you think he takes a big leap forward this year? He was good uh, down the stretch. I mean, he was not good at the beginning, but once Amari got there, you know, they were a different type of team. They add Jason Witten. I don't know what that really does for them. Probably nothing. Your but boy, Randall Cobb. Yeah, but Cobb is the key. And then I think that second year, again, for Michael Gallup, who was their second rounder last year, um, you know, they're, they're, I assume, expecting big things. They did lose Cole Beasley, but I, I think the, the Cobb upgrade is worth, well worth it. So I'm, I'm very interested to see how Cobb fits in there. And, you know, as a Packer fan, you know how much I love Cobb, but he he doesn't play every game, that's for sure. So when he inevitably gets hurt, you know, who steps in in the slot is going to be an interesting question for them. But, you know, they love running the ball, and so uh, I think that they'll be just fine regardless. But, it, you know, they I, they're 
they're real interesting. I think Dak is, you know, probably on that fringe quarterback, one quarterback too. that, that group is so deep this year. So uh, if you like Dak, then I would say just go for it. But I, I, I just, it's hard to know what he's going to look like with some of the new pieces and with Callan Moore as offensive coordinator. Looking at this next depth chart to me is just absolutely hilarious. As it stands today, Washington Redskins, <laughs> Colt McCoy, Case Keenum, Dwayne Haskins, Alex Smith, obviously Alex Smith with the injury, probably not going to play football. <laughs> At running back, Adrian Peterson, Chris Thompson, who missed most of last year, Darius Geis, who missed all of last year, and Samaj P. Ryan, who was often on the field for the majority of last year, and then Jordan Reed, Vernon Davis, who are always injured. Um, they they obviously get rid of uh, who, who we just talk about uh, receiver that was that, that was here last year. That's oh, Deshaun Jackson. Uh, no, uh, Jamison Crowder, who was always oh, hurt. Yeah. Uh, Paul yeah. Richardson's been hurt a lot of his career. I mean, can they keep players on the field offensively on this team? it's a million dollar question for them. I mean, they've, and then they also have two rookies that they are putting a lot of trust in and Terry McLaurin from Ohio state and Kelvin Harmon from NC state who looks like, you know, has really, it sounds like done really well in training camp, but um, you know, those, those are, it's tough. Josh Dotson never been able to realize the potential there. And this is going to be a team that probably wants to run quite a bit. Um, and, you know, with Jay Gruden, he's basically said, if we don't, if we're not 500 this year, I'm probably getting fired. So you expect him to turn the keys over to Haskins pretty quickly. Um, you know, this is a, this is a good defense, by the way, I would expect them to be a sneaky one for fantasy purposes, but, um, offensively, those guys you mentioned, they're all, if they do play, they're always hurt. And, um, that's why I say there's a chance they could jump up, but there's an even better chance, a much, much better chance that they slip and potentially even fall below the giants. Yeah, and if that's bad, the Giants, I mean, it's going to be worse. Eli Manning, this could be his last year. We see him as a starting quarterback in the NFL. Obviously, they draft Daniel Jones this year. Uh, Saquon Barkley was a, a stud in fantasy uh, football last year. But, you know, with the workload, you do worry a little bit with a guy like that. And then at the receiver position, they are just decimated with injury. Uh, Evan Ingram, he, he had some injury issues last year, but he's got potential uh, if he could stay on the field. What do you see out of the Giants going into this fantasy season? Oh yeah, there, there's, it's a wreck. It's a total wreck, man. It's, you, you take Beckham off the team, obviously, and Golden Tate already suspended and all, like all those guys that you mentioned, like when Sterling Shepard plays, he's still a really good player. Um, but you know, it's, and and you got to think that he's going to get force fed targets, especially because Evan Ingram often can't stay healthy. So they're, they're a disaster. Um, you know, they, they added their offensive line, quite a bit over the last two years when you think of that trade with Olivier Vernon going out to Cleveland and then getting Kevin Zeitler, but you know, they, and then they added last year left tackle Nate Solder from the Patriots, but you know, they're, they're, they're ugly, man. They're, they're real ugly. Then, uh, you know, and Eli's obviously kind of the catalyst for all that. It sounds like Daniel Jones has well outplayed him. So he's a guy that you'd have to look at in two quarterback leagues, obviously, if you're looking to just draft all the starters, but um, you know, they're, this is, this is going to be a bad thing and they'll probably go as far as there's a chance they get, you know, they're, because their defense is a little bit better. Um, you know, maybe they get a, they scrap a couple wins against the last play schedule and, you know, they just run Barkley into the ground and get some ugly wins, but they're not going to get you a whole lot for fantasy. I don't think. All right. I don't know about you, but my, my juices are flowing from a football perspective. I'm ready. Uh, you know, yes. I know, I know some drafts are just a few weeks away and, uh, that's the AFC and the NFC East from a fantasy and a 
betting perspective. Obviously, we'll touch on more of those divisions as we look toward the next several weeks. But uh, next week, uh, what do we got next week? So the by the West, yeah, probably the West of each. So uh, we'll definitely get to the West next week. Uh, wanted to talk just real quick before we get to the leftovers. Wanted to talk from a fantasy perspective about the Major League Baseball trade deadline. As we're recording here, there was a big three-team trade. Obviously, the storyline with Trevor Bauer has just been that he's uh, maybe lost his mind a little bit. Uh, So he (laughs) throws the ball over the center field wall. Francona hates it uh, as he's getting pulled from the game. He is now traded to the other side of the state of Ohio to the Cincinnati Reds as part of a three-team deal that involved the Padres as well. Yasiel Puig, as part of that deal, is headed to Cleveland. They also get uh, left-hander Logan Allen and outfielder Franmil Reyes, who will be headed to Cleveland from San Diego. Uh, but from a fantasy perspective, what do you think this means for Trevor Bauer down the stretch, Yasiel Puig down the stretch, and Franmil Reyes, who has been having a decent year as well? Always interesting when you have pitchers switching leagues, and I think that that's what you have to look at. Trevor Bauer just been a disaster this year. I mean, he's coming off a season where he had a two-two ERA, averaged you know eleven and three, eleven point three strikeouts per nine, um, less than three walks per nine. He was awesome. He was limiting home runs like crazy. Uh, you know, a deserved near Cy Young winner. And I mean, this year. Been a very different story. Still striking out a ton of guys, almost 11 strikeouts per nine, but now walking almost a full more one batter per game, averaging, you know, over 1.2 home runs per nine. Like this, this guy has just been, you know, a pretty much a completely different pitcher as far as giving up big plays. And his his ERA is 3.79. It should be around 4.2 probably based on fielder independent pitching. So he now goes. Cincinnati and that is a much smaller park so it'll be interesting to see how that impacts him but he is going to the NL um, and albeit again against a good division with hitter good hitters so I think that all balances out and I'm not a huge Bauer fan but they'll have him for a year and a quarter and then you know maybe next year at the trade deadline they flip him again and um, get some kind of return for him to give up just Puig and it looks like Taylor Trammell who's one of their better prospects Pretty good job by the Reds, but I think that ultimately Cleveland did the best uh, of all these teams as far as the type of players they got. The other move fantasy-wise was Marcus Stroman. He was an all-star starter this year, and he goes to the New York Mets of all teams. Thought this was interesting. There's been a lot of talk of the Mets being sellers at the deadline. Zach Wheeler is a name that's been thrown out there. Uh, Obviously, Edwin Diaz, who was the best closer in baseball last year and has been pretty terrible uh, overall this year, but uh, his name's been thrown out there. Uh, You know, teams like Boston and really pretty much every team that's in contention has been talked about or linked to him. Uh, But Mm -hmm. what do you think of Stroman from a fantasy standpoint? Do you think the Mets have the bat support to to continue to give him the ability to to be successful? Obviously, you know, Toronto wasn't the, the best in the league this year. This is a super weird move in my mind. Um, so they have him for a year after this one, basically a similar type of situation to what uh, what happened with uh, Trevor Bauer. But, you know, he's it's interesting because like he, his time was clearly done in Toronto and maybe they're kind of angling for or the Mets that is are angling for competition or to be competitive again next year. But my concern with Stroman is just just such a lack of strikeouts and that really scares me um you know because that's such a good gauge of a player's stuff and how dependent he is on the players behind him and uh you know he's just he's limited home runs at a rate that's probably somewhat unsustainable and you know his his you know his era should probably be around four and it's around under three right now so 
that would concern me. And it also sounds a name you didn't bring up with the Mets is, is Noah Syndergaard. Syndergaard and, yeah. and it Pitched sounds like he's, he pitched a gym against our Sox tonight. And it seems like he's likely to get traded uh, just watching him go off the field and got the standing O from the small Mets contingent behind their dugout and from the Mets themselves. And so, you know, I think there's some level of expectation that he is going to get moved. And, you know, he's obviously the prize of this entire trade deadline. So it'll be interesting to see where he goes. Yeah, definitely uh, the prize. Also, Madison Bumgarner's name is another one that's been thrown out there. Do you see him getting dealt? I don't. I I think that uh, the Giants have cobbled together enough success here recently, and I'm guessing that they'll want to maybe keep him around. But they're above 500, still just floating there. They've kind of plateaued over the last month or so, but um, they'll they'll be hanging around, and my guess is they won't move him. And and one thing we should note is the trade deadline will be the day that this is posted, but – um, you know, it matters more this year than it has probably in the last decade because there is no secondary trade deadline. I mean, it is all over tomorrow. And so um, there's there's no veterans getting moved through waivers and then ultimately able to get traded like they're they're gone and uh, they're they're on their team unless they get cut after this. So that's pretty much it. And I would expect there to be a flurry of activity tomorrow for that reason. All right, Anshu, we just talked about the baseball trade deadline from a fantasy perspective. On the other side of this Ad. We're going to talk about uh, fantasy. There, excuse me. The uh, the trade deadline from a baseball perspective. Uh, so I, we talked about on the on the other side uh, that that we're going to mix the leftovers in here with fantasy hour, and, and that's the plan. Uh, so we definitely want to kind of keep the spirit of that show alive within the underdog sports fantasy hour. So with that. We were just talking on the other side about how this trade deadline is affecting things from a fantasy perspective, but there are a ton of teams in contention right now that need to add bats. I'd like to hear your thoughts on what players you know, could potentially be moved and, and what teams that are buyers right now are going to need to add bats. We just talked about Cleveland and getting Yasiel Puig. Obviously, they lose their best arm in Trevor Bauer, but hopefully getting healthier uh, with Kluber coming back. We don't know what's going to happen with Carrasco. Probably you know, he may not come back at all this year. Um, but, but what are your thoughts on the bats that are still out there here leading up to the trade deadline tomorrow? Yeah, it's, it's a little bit bare now that Puy gets moved and Fran Mel Reyes. I think those were two of the best ones that are going to realistically be out there. Nick Castellanos is almost certainly getting moved from Detroit. He is a free agent. I would definitely expect to see his name, uh, bandied about, uh, what we know is that Whit Merrifield is not getting moved off of the Royals. Um, so that's, that's a name to expect to stay. I think that one that we have to kind of come to grips with is the possibility that Jose Abreu does get moved. It sounds like the Rays are very, very interested in him according to some sources online. And, and, you know, I think that that's, I look, the White Sox aren't competing this year. He's going to be a free agent. He could always come back and still be a part of the rebuild that he so desperately wants to be. And I, I just, I think that it's a possibility. I think the Sox would be foolish not to at least explore it um, just from, you know, the the perspective that they could get him back at the same price and ultimately, you know, gain a prospect for losing him for, you know, what, 40 games. So as much as loyalty is a huge part of this game, I mean, that to get a a useful player, which is, I think what he would net given that he could be a rental here down the stretch is, is something to consider. So those are a couple of the names that I would be looking at. Castellanos is probably the best name left uh, of the guys that actually could get moved. Um, you don't have the McCutcheons out there. There just aren't that many big 
names to me from a batting perspective. The the real crux of it to me seems more in the pitching market, specifically relievers. Yeah, that was my next question is we, we've talked a little bit about the starting pitchers and how it affects fantasy, but there's a ton of closers out there that could potentially be moved, whether it be into a setup role or whether it be to close for one of the teams looking for the bullpen help. Colome is a name that's been thrown out there. Uh, Will Smith is somebody who's been talked about before San Francisco went on this recent tear. Edwin Diaz is somebody who's been talked about being traded. Uh, you've got Felipe uh, Vasquez. Yep, Felipe Vasquez, another name we saw. Uh, we saw uh, the Marlins closer's names escaping me just get traded within the last couple of days. So there's a ton of guys out there from a relief standpoint that could potentially still be moved. Who do you think provides the most value? Obviously, guys like Diaz are going to need to haul. Who do you think provides the most value? In this group of relievers that uh, you could potentially find somebody that really could be an asset down the stretch. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a few. Felipe Vasquez, it sounds like, is demanding an absolute or commanding an absolute haul, potentially. The rumors out there that they would get some of the Dodgers' absolute best prospects for him. I think that, you know, Alex Colome is a name. Obviously, he's not going to get, you know, a top 50-ish prospect probably in baseball. But he and, you know, his... He's gotten a little bit lucky this year, but I just think that him as you know a setup man, which is what a contender would use him as, is a, you know potentially a really useful piece. But even more than that, if you could get like an Aaron Bummer or a Jace Fry out of the White Sox, I think there's a real opportunity there to get a useful piece. And I mean, I, I think of you know there there are a couple other guys too. Kirby Yates is a crazy good value if someone can extract him from the Padres. I, the, the real thing to me is you get a guy that you that can play for multiple years potentially. Um, Edwin Diaz, it sounds like isn't going to be a bargain for anyone. I mean, they're going to, they're going to charge a lot and he's, you know, they obviously paid quite a bit for him from the Mariners this off season. They're expecting at least that much back as Brody Van Wagen and those guys. So, uh, I think those are some of the names, you know, Archie Bradley could be a name also from the Diamondbacks along with their starters, Robbie Ray and Zach Ranke. But, you know, that's another guy to watch for. But, you know, it, it's tough because there are still so many teams sort of competing in this. And that leaves bad teams that have bad bullpens as the only ones trying to move players. Yeah, that's true. I, I, I would hate to see, you know, Colomay go, but I feel like it's probably the best move if they can get you. Pro- you mentioned they won't get a top 50 prospect, but if you could get a top 100, top 120 prospect for Colomay, you know, he hasn't even been on the field for the last two weeks to close out games because they've been playing such bad baseball. So they clearly are in a position now where they, they probably want to, to lose at this point. Uh, and, and that's that's probably fine. I thought we were done with that uh, that era, but we are not, <laughs> decisively not. So, um, yeah, I think that they're probably going to unfortunately veer in that direction a little bit and uh, pack it in and look for next year. But those are, you know, that, and I think that that stuff will distinguish itself more in the next month. But that's the issue with this own, this one trade deadline, which is, you know, there's just not there are teams that haven't, you know, maybe 15 days from now, we know the giants aren't competing and then will Smith commands a little bit less, but because of what is going on here, um, you know, that's, that's what it's going to take. It's going to take an absolute haul for a guy like that. Yes, sir. All right, let's, let's close it out. Let's bookend it with NFL. There've been a couple storylines here that have taken place over the, just the last couple of days as uh, training camp is getting going. The big one is with my Cincinnati Bengals to go a little zero bias on you. Uh, it, <laughs> A.J. Green, uh, it looked like it was going to be bad, was carted off the field in practice going up for a catch. Uh, it looked like it could potentially be a very serious ankle injury. Then it was reported that it was a minor ankle sprain and that he could be back for the opener. This has gone back and forth so many times. Now it looks like he had some he had surgery on that ankle today. 
uh, and is going to miss at least a couple games. Obviously, the Bengals reeling with the injury uh, to Jonah Williams uh, before training camp gets going. He's going to miss the whole year as their number one pick. Uh, the Bengals, are, I mean, they're in a lot of trouble this year as it is. They do sign Tyler Boyd to a nice four-year deal uh, to, to have something in place if Green goes down, which he does now. How bad is this for the Bengals, and, and how, how upset am I going to be as this season gets underway? <laughs> well, for the latter, I, I mean, you're definitely going to be upset. Even if they go 16 and 0, I think you'll find a way to be upset about it. But no, no, I, I, uh, I, it's obviously terrible. But you know, in my mind, I'm, I'm thinking about this from a Bengals fan perspective and just objectively too. Like the, you know, they have to go to Seattle Week One. That is going to be a super tough game for them, needless to say. So you know, let's assume that they just ice AJ for that game. Uh, you know, you come back week two and I think that, you know, you have a much better chance of winning. And I, I just look, it's if it's going to happen, get it out of the way early. And, you know, the key to me is you're looking at Zach Taylor. You're looking at how Andy Dalton fits into Zach Taylor's offense moving forward. This guy's going to be here for a while as your coach and your scheme. And, you know, and I think that A.J. Green is likely to be a big part of that, too, obviously moving forward. And so. You just want to see how it all fits together. I think that's the real shame of this is you're just missing time to get, you know, to lay the groundwork. It's not like it's the same offense or the same coaching staff. It's a completely different situation. And that would be what upsets me the most rather than, you know, maybe winning or losing early. You just want to know how it all pieces together. You know what I mean? So I, I'm interested to get your perspective, but that's what mine would be. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a very good point is the Bengals aren't expected to be good I, I think USA Today had them at three and 13 for the year I think that's kind of funny that's a uh, you know if they're no. intact but it is a blow and yes they do have a lot of offensive weapons regardless of you know how good or bad the offensive line was going to be going into this season now they're going to have to piecework that together uh, which makes me a little nervous for Andy Dalton because he doesn't play well under pressure uh, but now A.J. Green going down, I mean, it totally changes the way that your offense looks. And, you know, if he only misses a game or two, it's it's not as big of a deal if he can come back and get healthy. But it's a huge blow to a team that's already been reeling from injuries and been known in the past to, to always suffer from injuries. And A.J.'s been at the forefront of that. He's been injured at times for a lot of important parts of season. So is Andy Dalton. So... Hopefully he can get back healthy relatively quickly. I know it was a minor procedure on the ankle, uh, but it, it does, as a, as a fan, that's the last thing you want to see is, is your star player go down before he even gets into the preseason, which is a perfect segue into my next storyline that's happened today. Uh, and the Falcons come out and announce that Julio Jones, one of the other talented receivers, one of the best receivers in the game, will be held out of all preseason games. And they, they came out and said that it has nothing to do with the fact that they're trying to negotiate a new contract, which could be the biggest contract ever signed by an NFL receiver. Do you think this is a trend that will take off in the NFL? Do you anticipate that, you know, and, and obviously we see a lot of people sit out the preseason if there's some nag nagging injuries, but for star players, I just, I feel like the preseason eventually is going to be cut down to two games, but it isn't yet. And I think that we're seeing people that of this caliber playing less and less in the preseason. Do you anticipate that that happens more going forward? For sure. I mean, this is the NBAification of the NFL, right? Like the let's not waste our guys in places that don't matter. And even in places that do, I mean, uh, it reminds me of, you know, Aaron Rodgers hasn't, he played six snaps last off last preseason, six. <laughs> like that's insane. And they, Matt LaFleur is already saying that he doesn't want to play him game one this week and not to zero bias that from the Packers perspective, but it just is what it is. Like these guys, 
they don't want to put them in harm's way. It's a dangerous game. And especially for a player like Julio Jones, that's playing under the same coaching staff. Um, yes, they go back to a familiar old uh, offensive coordinator, but it's not, you know, it's not a different thing. He's, he knows Matt Ryan and it's pretty much the polar opposite to what happens with AJ in my mind in that, you know, I, I would just want to see what AJ is going to do and, and, you know, how that offense looks in a new offense. And so, you know, I, obviously, yeah, like this is an emphasis that all these teams are making and especially for skill position guys and guys that, you know, Julio Jones has nagging injuries all the time. And I mean, he doesn't miss a lot of games, but he is always kind of banged up here and there, especially his feet. And that's, you know, something you want to sort of preserve over the next four or five years of your, you know, your future. And so I think that I understand it, but it's uh, to have just to go in and say you're not playing at all in the preseason is kind of wild to me because now your first game becomes a borderline preseason game. Yep. I like it. Uh, a lot of good stuff on this show on you primarily from you. It looks like Tyreek Hill's injury uh, today wasn't significant. So it looks like he should be all right for Kansas city. Obviously he had a lot of off the field things going on this off season, but I did want to go get to, Oh, by the way, uh, we're going to keep that dream alive as well with the leftovers here on the underdog sports fantasy hour and mine to stay on brand is going to be around the NBA. Two quick stories for you with the NBA. Uh, the the one has to do with Blazers uh, guard CJ McCollum. He gets a three-year, $100 million extension today, and I just love seeing that because I, I'm a huge fan of McCollum. I love what the Blazers did this offseason, and I've just been rooting for them to get over the hump eventually. I think keeping that backcourt intact has to be the, the center of that. Uh, so congrats to McCollum on the big deal, and that keeps that backcourt looking strong for years to come. The other one is, I don't know if you saw this. This isn't necessarily new news, but the advertisements have been up everywhere in Chicago and elsewhere. That's uh, that your boy, the Greek freak, has his signature shoe finally out with Nike. I don't know if you saw it. It's a different look, uh, but I'm starting, it's starting to grow on me a little bit. I'm a big mm-hmm. fan of the shoe game and uh, to see Giannis get a signature shoe to me is great. And, and it adds another, uh, another awesome athlete to that Nike brand. Yeah, that was, I really like those actually. I mean, at first I, I always have issues with the newer shoes at first and then they all sort of grow on me except for LeBron's. I just can't stand the shoes, but, uh, or, or the Pumas. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That too. And oh yeah. And Zion's going Jordan, right? Yep. That should be interesting. And he just signed um, a deal today with 2K as well. Multi-year oh, they, deal. Very nice. Uh, so one for me is a couple, uh, last week, I believe Anthony Davis is in Chicago doing a, uh, a volunteer tour, kind of, you know, working with kids in the city where he grew up and, you know, he was asked a question about Chicago basketball and he called it the Mecca of basketball and then all these idiot Bulls fans took that and just started rolling with it and deci- and saying that, you know, this implies that Anthony Davis may want to come to Chicago next year. He didn't sign that extension with the Lakers, which they expected him to um, right out of the gate. And so there are a bunch of delusional Bulls fans roaming the streets of Chicago. So um, everyone watch out. They might, you know, make you run wind sprints in their joy for Jim Boylan or whatever. And so. <laughs> Like, just avoid these people. They don't know what of which they speak. And, you know, Anthony Davis obviously has no interest whatsoever in being a bull at any point, except for <laughs> maybe when he's over the hill and the bulls give him a max deal in like 2050. So that's uh, that's all I have to say about that. But Jalen Rose also piggybacked it and thought and said, don't be surprised if Davis does it. I will tell you right now, I will do an entire show complimenting the bulls if that ever happens. And uh, trust me, that would never happen. Your hatred for the bulls actually give me 
a silver lining with my <laughs> fandom over the last – I mean with, with what's happened to the Cavs and LeBron leaving and the White Sox not being able to stay healthy and them still being a year behind where we expected them to be and the Bengals just being what they are. Uh, what, just watching your thoughts on what the Bulls' every every move is, even the non-moves like this one, it's just, it just it makes me feel like I'm not alone as a hopeless sports fan or a hopeless romantic from a sports perspective. Oh, my God. It's torture. And uh, honestly, I don't even care anymore. So it's just been sort of ignorance is bliss at this point. I've given up. When they drafted Kobe White, it was literally like they were mocking these personally. So now it's now it's personal and I uh, I just can't have it. I just can't let it get me down. So, yeah, that's, as that's sad as it at. sounds, that's about where I'm at with the Bengals uh, leading oh. up to football season. But we do a fantasy show and I'm not there with fantasy sports quite yet. Even yes. though I probably should be after some of my performance last year. Uh, aren't you <laughs> no anything way. else we missed on this one? I know this was a long one. Uh, we're like I said, hitting the reset button on the fantasy hour and. We are excited about what we have to bring you guys here coming this football season, but uh, anything we missed? No, sir. I, I mean, I'm so pumped for football season. I'm glad to be doing that with you now. Likewise. Well, it sounds like our time has come to an end on the Underdog Sports Fantasy Hour. For Anshu Khanna, I am Josh Dunn. We will see you guys next week.